If you enjoy studying the Bible, but have grown frustrated looking for solid content you can trust, welcome to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study each day, five days a week. Every Monday, the team at Get Fed Today posts five hand-selected sermons from a vast catalog of reliable Bible teachers for you to enjoy on your commute, to and from work, during your daily walk or run, or that hour you spend working out. Please note, Get Fed Today only posts content that is already available for free on the internet. Nothing about this ministry is monetized, and a few costs associated with hosting the podcast have been covered by a single benefactor. In fact, Get Fed Today is a volunteer ministry run by a team of Christ followers who love God's Word, enjoy good Bible teaching, and genuinely want to make it as easy as possible for their fellow brothers and sisters to get fed today. All you have to do is subscribe. For quick links to the podcast available on Apple, Google, and Spotify, simply visit GetFedToday.com. And again, that's GetFedToday.com. Back in the 1960s, if you can remember that far, and didn't fry your brains back then, there was an attempt on the part of some to get in touch with uh, something bigger than themselves. Let's call it God. Their method, though, was drop a tab of LSD, and it's amazing what you'll see. Well, that was true, but it didn't exactly put them in touch with God. However, I have some sympathy with anyone who wants to get in touch with something bigger than themselves. Then in the 70s and 80s, there was a movement that, well, it's still going on, but I think erroneously called themselves New Age. They were trying to get in touch with something bigger than themselves. Let's call it God. Do you remember when they advertised a thing they called a harmonic convergence? One guy called it a moronic convergence. But, but they advertised that, that in Sedona, Arizona, and, I, you know, they really pick good real estate. There's this beautiful mountain, and they said on a certain day, all of the forces and spirits and powers of the universe would converge in a vortex. And if you had your hands on that mountain on that day, and thousands did, there would be peace in the world. (laughs) Wrong rock, I guess. But I still have sympathy for anyone that wants to be in touch with something bigger than themselves. Today, we're having a resurgence of a thing called Zen Buddhism. Now, forgive me, I'm a humorist. And I kind of appreciate groups that are so rich in humor. You see, they want to be at one with everything. So you heard about the Zen guy that walked up to the hot dog stand and said, make me one with everything. (laughs) See what I mean? (laughs) They also want to be at one with their bodies, you know, which I find slightly humorous, but there are certain exercises that you go through to do that. But I have sympathy for anyone that wants to get in touch with something bigger than themselves. This is nothing new with we human beings, you know. It's instinctive. We know there's something bigger than us, and we instinctively want to get in touch with it. Well, I want to take you to the 11th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, and let's see just such an event. Beginning with verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass, as he, this would be Jesus, was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. Now, this immediately tells me several things. First of all, it lets me know that Jesus practiced what he preached. See, he taught that when you pray, go into your closet, pray in secret, your Father who hears in secret will reward you openly. This lets me know he did that. Had he been the typical public prayer that the Pharisees were, they'd have been able to analyze his praying. You know, they say, well, he uses this word so many times. He always uses this word right after this word. And in the Greek, this means such and such, you know. And so they'd have been able to analyze his praying. 
But they couldn't. So they had to ask him to teach them to pray. Now, the second thing this tells me is that these guys, these disciples, had been observing Jesus, and they knew if anyone was in touch with God, it was Jesus. He had power. And if there's one thing we love, it is power. What do you think politics is about? Power. What do you think marriage is about? Power. You see, I tell my wife, I'm the head of this house. And she says, well, I'm the neck that turns the head. And they reasoned probably accurately that maybe it's this praying he does. And so they wanted that power, and they asked him for it. Now, I, any of you who have heard me or, or read The Jesus Style, which is my most important book, which I'm sure you would want to read it because you want to go to heaven... But you know, you know that I'm not very impressed with the apostles. I'm impressed that Jesus chose them. But I'm not really impressed with them. Because when you go into the Gospels and only study the apostles with no preconceived ideas, you really can only come to the conclusion that these men were world-class turkeys. They were so useless to Jesus, it was embarrassing. He was constantly covering for them putting ears back on heads and things like that. (laughs) So for these guys to be asking for this power, it's kind of like your six-year-old asking for the keys to the car. Let's kiss it goodbye. Now, if I were Jesus, and this will be all the proof you'll need that I'm not, I would have said something like this. You know, you guys aren't ready for this. This is atomic power. You can do a lot of damage with this, man. You need to do something to prepare yourself for this. You need to, you, you need to climb this mountain on your knees and sit on the top for six months and stare at your navel, and then maybe you'll be ready. <laughs> but that's not what happened. They said, teach us to pray, and he taught them. No wiping of sweat, no wringing of hands. He taught them, which lets me know that Jesus is far more interested in our having access to God than even we are. You know another thing that I love? He ignored their manipulativeness, their attitude. You know what these guys were really saying? Uh, You know, Jesus, John taught his disciples how to pray. What are you doing for us? You know. Now, that's kind of like a rooster finding an ostrich egg somewhere rolling it back to the hen house and saying, Now, girls, I'm not complaining. I just want you to see what they're doing in other places, okay? So he ignored. I'm so glad that he ignored. Most, you know, he ignores bad attitudes. Doesn't he? I know. And so he teaches them. Now, this version in Luke is a condensed one of what we call the Lord's Prayer. You get the full one back in Matthew chapter 6. But he starts right off. We know this by heart. Okay, when you pray, say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father? He gives us the power to declare him our dad. You know, once you say, God is my dad, you almost don't need to say anything else, do you? You guys know we got our dads in a lot of trouble when we were kids by saying to our friends, I bet my dad can whip your dad, you know. (laughs) I was uh, teaching on a similar subject up in Rochester some years ago, and there was a famous singer there who on the second day after I had taught he had a T-shirt on. He says, I've never been able to wear this until I heard what you said. And it just simply said, my God can whip your God. Yeah. (laughs) But he authorizes us to call him dad. Now, folks, do you realize there is no prerequisite for this? He doesn't say, now, if you're really nice, I'll let you call me dad. 
But this is a declaration that's almost like a conversion where we're willing to say, I'm going to call him Father. I'm going to call him Dad. He authorized me to do that. Now, when he says, Hallowed be your name, that means we set his name apart as holy and declare it that way. The problem with this is his name doesn't mean to us today what it meant back then. You see, back then they tended to name people in keeping with who they were, so that if you knew a person's name and the meaning of the name, you knew the person. We don't do that nowadays. We just flip through baby books till we find names that sound good. My parents named me Gail. <laughs> Pray for me. But God actually has a name, and he defined that name. Moses had wanted to see his glory in Exodus 33, and God says, okay, then I will proclaim my name. And he does that. He explains, preaches, proclaims his name in Exodus 34. Now, I'm going to go through this definition that God gives to his name, and I'm going to update the language a bit, and, and afterward I'll ask you to repeat it after me. We'll go through it again, because if you want to hallow his name, you need to know what it means. So God defines his name and says he is the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in mercy and faithfulness, mercy to thousands, forgiving wickedness, forgiving rebellion, forgiving sin. Hey, you like this? It's pretty good, isn't it? But you see, once you know this, you understand that is the name to be honored and set apart and declared holy. So let's repeat it after me. Ready? Compassionate. Compassionate. Gracious. Gracious. Slow to anger. Slow to anger. Abounding in mercy and faithfulness. Abounding in mercy and faithfulness. Mercy to thousands. Forgiving wickedness. Forgiving rebellion. Forgiving sin. Folks, this is awesome. Just think, no, you don't have to repeat that. That's pretty wonderful. Like, repeat after me. Repeat after me. Okay, well. Compassion, you know, is pity moved to do something about it. Some people, you know, think, well, okay, maybe God created this whole place 15 billion years ago, but now he's off doing something else, but he comes by every once in a while, looks at us and says, whoo, I feel sorry for you, then moves on. That's not true. He is here, present, and is moved with compassion for us. And gracious, you know. Now, grace is when God gives us what we don't deserve. And I've discovered that he is just so gracious and so giving to us that we don't even notice it anymore. We are, not you, I'm not talking about you here. I'm talking about people in Texas, okay? (laughs) But we are spoiled rotten. You know what, we're like the kid who on Christmas morning just opens his 1,000th gift. And then he says, is that all there is? And then he plays with the boxes. But he blesses us so much. He loves us so much. We don't even notice it anymore. And he knows that we don't, but he still blesses us. If we really understood, every time we took a breath, we'd go, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We get a stethoscope and go, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. He's a benevolent schemer, I think. In fact, the Bible tells us something interesting about God, that his thoughts for us are good. Now, I've discovered that most Christians really don't believe that. They think that when their name comes up in heaven, you can see God's jaws tighten. (laughs) Who let them in? And a lot of Christians believe that they're on probation with God and that God's basically just a little ticked off with them. But that's not true, folks. He's crazy about you, really. And he is so gracious that he's constantly blessing us and his thoughts for us are good. And the Bible says they're like the sand. 
Now, I heard someone once trying to mathematically figure that out, and, and I'm a little bit of a mathematician, so I was listening, and he was doing a good job. He came to the conclusion that God had seven good thoughts per second for each of us. <laughs> I can't even think seven thoughts in a second. But think about this. Even as I speak to you, God is thinking. See, he doesn't quit thinking when I start speaking. I do. He doesn't. And even as I speak to you, he's thinking these thoughts, 7, 14, 21, 28, 35, 42, 49, 56, 60-something. It boggles my mind. But we are objects of his grace, and he is slow to anger. Aren't you glad? You know, there are those who believe that God's this white-haired old man sitting somewhere up on a cosmic rock, and he's pretty ticked off, just looking for a human being. There's one. Zap. God amen. But that's not true. He is slow to anger, and he isn't touchy. If we say, our Father in heaven, he doesn't go, what? (laughs) Sorry, sorry about that. (laughs) But stay ready. (laughs) And he abounds in mercy and faithfulness. Now, the faithfulness part, being a true person, means he never changes. But mercy is when he doesn't give us what what we do deserve. Aren't you glad? Man, if we got what we deserved, you know we'd all be crispy critters here. In fact, <laughs> every one of us know. Remember who this guy Freud, I mean Freud was, you know? Uh, he invented psychiatry, and he determined that the problem of the world is guilt. And he wants to get rid of guilt. Well, it's real easy to get rid of guilt. Repent. But he didn't believe that, you know. And the problem is, you know why we feel guilty? We are. (laughs) I can remember when I was a kid, man, I would be playing with my friends. You see, my parents believed in the laying on of hands. (laughs) I would sometimes say to my friends, it's time for me to go home and get my whipping. Because I knew I deserved it. There's just this old, I understand, Chinese proverb that says, whip a child at the end of the day. If you don't know why, he does. <laughs> but he is merciful. In fact, his mercy is so vast, he's got more of it than he knows what to do with. He's stacking it in streets, looking for someone to help him distribute it. And on top of that, he says, his mercy endures forever. How long is that? It's quite a while, isn't it? Yeah. But just in case you're still nervous. He also says his mercy is made new every morning. When you guys woke up this morning, God looked at you and went, ooh. (laughs) Spent it all in one place, didn't you? Well, here's a fresh batch just for today. I love that. And it doesn't strain him, you know. If we show up, he doesn't say, weren't you here yesterday? You think this grows on trees, don't you? Matter of fact, it does. But he is merciful. And and mercy to thousands, which is an ancient way of saying unending. And then forgiving wickedness. Now, I like that word, wicked, and iniquity, the other form of the word. Uh, it, because it sounds like what it means, doesn't it? You know, wicked, iniquity. You ought to look it up in a dictionary. It's a long list. It's all bad. And he forgives. Now, just in case you think, well, I really wouldn't consider myself wicked. <laughs> That's okay. He's got you covered. Forgiving rebellion or transgression. Okay, yeah. But just in case you think, no, I wouldn't think of myself as rebellious. It's okay. He's got you covered. Forgiving sin. Yeah, yep, you got me there. Now, folks, 
Isn't this worth honoring and setting apart as holy? Isn't it worth even taking time to thank Him for this as you pray and, and to, to honor Him for the ways that you see this happening in your life, even though I'm convinced we'll never see all of it until we get to heaven and He lets us really see things? But, oh, His name is worth honoring. There's no name like it. So, the next part of the prayer, once you have, have honored Him for who He is, the next part of the prayer makes a lot of sense. Thy kingdom come. Now, I happen to believe that's a very personal part of the prayer. I think this is where we're saying, I want you to be my king. I want you to dominate me. I want you to be in charge of my life. I want you to call the shots in my life. And when you know what he's like, you want him to call the shots. You don't like the other options, like yourself. But when you've done these two things, you have honored him for who he is, you've asked him to dominate you, the next part of the prayer you can pray with wisdom and understanding and discernment, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. John informs us in 1 John 5, this is the confidence we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if he hears us, we have the petition we desire of him. So, when you know what he's like and honor him for that and ask him to dominate you, you're more likely to be able to pray the kind of prayer that would be in keeping with his will. And it literally unlocks the miraculous for you. Now, the next part of the prayer is very informative. Give us this day our daily bread. Hey, it's a daily prayer. Now, I'm the sort of guy that would tend to pray, oh, give me this day next year's bread. <laughs> that way I don't have to bother you, God. And I hear him say, no, 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 bother me, Gail. <laughs> really? You want to hear from me every day? Yeah. I want to bother you every day. Yeah. I want to hear your voice. See, when you love someone, you like to hear their voice. I have a son who is just enough like me I could kill him. <laughs> when I left home as a young man to be my own person in this world, I loved my parents dearly. And to prove it, I would phone them about once every six months. It's a guy thing, ladies. Pray that you have daughters, you know. My son was doing the exact same thing to me. And it was a local call. <laughs> and I knew that if I was going to hear his voice, I had to call him. So I dialed his number and he answered, Clyde here. See, I would never name my son Gail. I said, hi, Clyde. Oh, Dad, good to hear your voice. Yes. I said, son, would you do something for me? Sure, Dad, I'd be glad to. Put your hand out in front of your face and make a fist out of it. <laughs> he's a sharp cookie. He said, all right, Dad, what's going on? I said, go with me, son. You have a finger next to your thumb. Stick it out. All right, Dad, what's up? Go with me, son. Son, that's known as a digit finger. That's for hitting digits with. And there's a machine in front of you with digits on it. Let's practice. Three, two, one, zero, zero, seven, seven. Oh, Dad, you know. But when you love someone, you like to hear from them. And, and God loves to hear from us, folks. He loves the sound of your voice. Wow. And he knows that if he gave me next year's bread today, he would, uh, that I would uh, eat it today. But maybe the best meaning of this, since Jesus is the bread of life, is that we're saying, give me a daily dose of Jesus, man. Give me Jesus. Mm. Now, I'm going to leave the Lord's Prayer here, not because the rest of it does not deserve comment. It really does. But I, I wanted you to see how absolutely wide open Jesus through the doors of contact with God, man, and of access to God. This is awesome. However, Jesus knew that the disciples were very slow learners. I can prove that. He knew that one plain as day illustration wouldn't get it with these guys. So, he gives us a second illustration right after the, what we call the Lord's Prayer 
of access to God, though it doesn't sound like it at first reading. But let me read it to you, beginning with verse 5. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, but because of, yet because of his importunity, his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Now, at first glance, this sounds like God doesn't really want to do it. You know, you just have to pester him until finally he says, all right already. But that's not what this means. I want to tell you four things about this story that will absolutely unlock it for you. The first thing you need to know is that in these Mideast cultures and villages, they have one particular trait of which they are most proud and to which they aspire more than anything else. It's like a morality. It's their highest thing. And that's hospitality. They're known for it. Not to be able to give hospitality is unthinkable. It's a blow they cannot receive. It's a shame they cannot bear. It's enough to drive a man out of his house at midnight. And there were no wawas back then. So he goes to his friend's house, and he knocks on his door. Now, here's the second thing you need to know. These Mideast villages in their culture really operate as one, which means that if one person, they take responsibility for each other. If one person in their village is unable to give hospitality, it's as if the whole village had failed. It's a, it's a, blow they cannot receive. It's a shame they cannot bear. So when this man came to his friend's house, he knew his friend knew the rules. He knew he would get the bread. It was a foregone conclusion, which means it's going to happen. Now, we're going to use that phrase again, so I want you to practice it with me. You'll know when to use it. It's going to happen. Let's say it together. It's going to happen. Now, in a way, I think this is a little bit of Jesus saying, hey, when you have an inadequacy, heaven considers your inadequacy, its inadequacy, because you belong to us, so that when you come and knock on heaven's door, heaven knows the rules. Which means it's a foregone conclusion, which means... Very good. Now, the third thing is very important. Please notice that this man wanted to bless someone else and couldn't do it. Now, let me tell you, when you want to bless someone else, you have tapped into the very nature of God because Jesus was the one truly servant-hearted, other-centered person. And when you want to bless someone else, you have heaven's attention. Now, let's build a scenario. Suppose this guy comes to his friend's house, knocks on his door, man says, what are you knocking on my door at midnight for? And this guy says, well, I usually wake up at midnight and have a midnight snack. And I woke up tonight and I'm snackless. And I like your bread, so I thought I'd come and see if I could get some of your bread for my midnight snack. Not only would he go home snackless, <laughs> but he'd have a, a sermon ringing in his ears about waking people up at midnight. Now, you know, some people, not you guys, but you know where, Texas. Some people sort of, oh, what can we call it? Play a religion game. And it goes like this. Oh, boy, it's been a tough week. The devil has tanned my hide. Man, I need a blessing. And we don't know even how to define the word blessing without using the word blessing. So we come in and we say, okay, where's a seat away from all the people I don't like? (laughs) 
We sit down and we say, okay, Pastor Fotchett. (laughs) Which is evidence I just got here, you know. Bless me. You have 20 minutes to bless me. You don't bless me in 20 minutes. There's some other old manufacturing places I can go to. And that's a miserable way to live. What if, (laughs) you know, a person like that comes and says, I'm checking you people out. Are you friendly? I'm just looking. Are you friendly? Are you friendly? I know you're smiling, but they pay you to smile. That doesn't count. (laughs) That's a miserable way to live. Oh, but the joy of living is when we all come with the thought, I'm going to bless somebody. Is it you? Is it you, you know? And you get us all wandering around. You'll have to put three more stories on this place, you know. Mm. So you see, because he wanted to bless someone else, he had tapped into the, the very nature of our God. The fourth thing. This word importunity, persistence in this case, is a really fascinating thing. It sounds like the persistence of the guy who needs the bread. But when you chase it far enough back, you discover that maybe this isn't talking about his persistence as much as it's talking about the persistent goodness of the one who had the bread. See, he didn't give it to him because he was his friend, but he gave it to him because of who he was. He was persistently good. Now, that sounds like our God, doesn't it? When we come to him even more than because he's our friend, but it's because of who he is. He is persistently good. And we want to bless someone else. He gives us everything we need. You know what? That sounds to me like he's trying to let us know this is a foregone conclusion, which means, oh, you can do better now. This is a foregone conclusion, which means... Wow. Now, so actually, you see, this is an incredible illustration of access to God. However, Jesus knew that the apostles were very slow learners. And he knew that two plain as day illustrations wouldn't get it, so he ratchets it up another notch and says in verse 9, so, see, this is continuing on in this process, so, I say to you, ask, and the odds are really good that it just might possibly be given to you, certainly better odds than the lottery. Doesn't say that, does it? Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. Woo! This sounds to me like Jesus has painted himself into a corner that he can't get out of. It sounds to me like he's trying to say, this is a foregone conclusion, which means... Now, I believe this is one of the most misinterpreted verses in the Scripture. You have heard some form of what I'm going to say here. It goes like this. You've always wanted that Rolls-Royce automobile right here. (laughs) Asking God has to give it to you. Folks, this is not talking about things. This whole series is talking about access to God, you see. And God knows that no thing will cover your inadequacies. So when you want to be in touch with God, ask Seek, knock, it's automatic. It's a foregone conclusion, which means, however, Jesus knew that the apostles were very slow learners. Sometimes I feel so apostolic. And he knew that three plain as day illustrations wouldn't get it with these guys, so he ratchets it up another notch and he says this. For everyone who asks, receives. Who might that include? Are you in everyone? Amazing. And he who seeks, finds. Are you a he who? (laughs) 
And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Are you a to him? I mean, who does he, who does he exclude here? No one. He doesn't even say, if you're nice. No. Plain as th- This is incredible. Oh, it looks to me like Jesus has painted himself into a tighter corner that he can't get out of. It looks to me like he's desperately trying to say to us, this is a foregone conclusion, which means... <laughs> However, Jesus knew <laughs> that the apostles were very slow learners. <laughs> I can almost hear him thinking, they're not getting it. I need to come at this from another direction. So he gives a fifth and final illustration I find fascinating. Verse 11, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? That's a no-brainer. I can see the apostles looking at each other and thinking, is this a test? (laughs) You had bread yesterday, kid. Here's a rock. Go sharpen your teeth. No. Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? No. Here, kid, think fast. No, no, no. (laughs) Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? No. Here, kid, no pain, no gain. No, no. (laughs) Now, this next verse, I love it because he's talking to his staff. Keep that in mind. He's talking to his staff. If you then being evil. <laughs> now, what if Pastor Foch, or Fochet, whatever it is, <laughs> called a leadership meeting tomorrow morning and starts off saying, all right, you evil people. That happens every Monday, doesn't it, Joanne? But th- these, these are the apostles. He says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Now, whenever you see how much more or much more in the New Testament always means this is beyond your best thinking. There is no calculator that you'll ever make that can handle this. No computer you'll ever build that can crunch these numbers. This is vastly beyond your best thinking. How much more will your heavenly Father... Now, we know what He's like, don't we? Give the... Holy Spirit... Holy Spirit, but I wanted a Rolls Royce. (laughs) You know, God, who knows us better than we know ourselves, knows that no thing will ever cover our inadequacy, so He does for us the very best thing that can possibly be done. He gives us Himself. But you know, when you say the words Holy Spirit, a lot of people are palms start sweating and they start looking for exits thinking oh boy what's going on now and I've heard I really have I've heard people say I don't know about this Holy Spirit thing I've heard that if he fills you with the Holy Spirit he knocks you unconscious and you wake up an hour later under the piano (laughs) and you've done every embarrassing thing that you never thought you'd ever do Now, folks, it is not the job, please hear this, it is not the job of the Holy Spirit to humiliate God's kids, period. It is the job of the Holy Spirit to take what is Jesus and make it known to us, to take His things and make it known to us, to help us see Jesus clearly and to represent Him correctly. See? Well, I've also heard, I had someone say... (laughs) That if he fills you with the Spirit, he knocks you to the floor and you bounce around and you bark and you barf. (laughs) No. Hear me again. It is not the job of the Holy Spirit to humiliate God's kids. Well, then what will he do to me if he fills me? Well, you know what? Since I'm not God... I can't tell you everything. I don't know, but I can promise you one thing. You'll be so glad. Well, okay. 
But how do I receive the Holy Spirit? Now, this is where real controversy comes in. Now, you know what? I like to get my theology from Jesus, so let's kind of find out what he has to say. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Ask? Oh, surely that's a mistake. Surely in the original it means to those who deserve him. You know, the world looks at this, or at us, or at their view of God, and they will say something like this. God blesses sweet people. And He loves sweet people. And if you're a sweet person, God will bless you, because God blesses sweet people. And God would love to bless sweet people. He just can't find any. (laughs) So He has to bless us. Isn't that great? As I study the Bible, I've come to the conclusion that God is crazy about jerks. Because there's so many of them. And they're so much more available than the hoity-toity uppity people of the world, you know. I just noted, I don't, the governor's not here tonight, is he? I don't see him. You know, I've spoken all over California, and I've never once seen Arnold. The lieutenant governor's not here, are they? Who are you people? They promised me a quality crowd. <laughs> well, the Bible calls us the weak and the foolish, so now we know. We never name our churches that. We can foolish chapel. You know, wouldn't that be great? I could go to that. Wow, this is too good. Let me just sort of tell you a story that might help you understand a little bit of how God might operate. Lloyd Ogilvie, who until a few years ago was the chaplain of the United States Senate, is in my estimation a genuine man of God. I I hold him in very high esteem. I got acquainted with him years ago when he pastored Hollywood Presbyterian Church. I, I used to take groups up small groups, and he would just so generously give us a whole evening and share his life with us. It was really wonderful. He told a story that I found fascinating. Now, if you ever hear him speak, do not close your eyes while he talks, or you'll think it's God. He has this rich, deep, melodious voice, you know. But he said when he was first graduated from seminary in Illinois, he said, I had the squeakiest, most irritating voice you've ever heard. And he said, the only thing worse than my voice was my sermons. He said, they were a weekly crime committed on the people. He said, I was a failure. And I had decided I was going to leave the ministry. And he said, one Saturday afternoon, I was walking along Lake Michigan shore in Chicago with a couple of my buddies from seminary who were also new pastors, also failures, and we were commiserating about leaving the ministry. And he said to them, you know, guys, I've been reading the Bible. That'll do it. And he says, it seems to me that I need the Holy Spirit. And he says, it also seems to me that I need to ask. He said, now in my studies, sometimes they laid hands on people and prayed for them, but not every time. But since you guys are here with me, if I kneel here in the sand, would you guys lay hands on me and pray for me? Well, yeah, I guess so. Never have done it before, but we can try. (laughs) So he knelt down, and, you know, they were trying to figure out where to put their hands, but uh, they laid hands on him and prayed for him. And Lloyd said, when they finished, nothing had happened. He said, I stood up and we looked at each other and just shrugged and went home. He said, the next morning, I preached the worst sermon ever heard by human ear. But he said, people got saved. That had never happened before. And some other good things began to happen in the congregation. And he realized God kept his promise, you see. He said, I felt that I had to have a... (laughs) 
in order to know. And God in his mercy and grace knows what we need and sometimes he gives us a... (laughs) But even if he doesn't, that doesn't mean he doesn't keep his word. He keeps his word. This means that he is limiting himself to our asking. Now think of the implications of this. Some people think, well... If he wants to fill you with his spirit, he grabs you by the throat and he shakes you and says, I'm going to fill you with my spirit. I don't care what you say. (laughs) But no. Do you know God respects you and your ability to choose and he will not violate you? But he says, if you ask, it's a foregone conclusion, which means (laughs) this is almost too good, isn't it? In fact, it causes me to think, you know, we need to build some new habits. You know, habits are, are built by repetition, which makes them hard to break because you can't unrepeat things. So you can start a good habit by saying something like, Father, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Let's say that together. Father, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Wow. How often can I say that? However often you feel the need. Ready? Father, fill me with the Holy Spirit. A thousand times a day? Sure, that's a good start. Father, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Now you may be like the guy who was talking to the Lord, and he said, you know, God, what can I say? This has been a wonderful day. I haven't sinned today. I mean, I haven't had any bad thoughts. I haven't mistreated anybody. It's just been wonderful. But I'm going to get out of bed now. (laughs) And I need help. (laughs) Father, fill me with the Holy Spirit. That's a good time to say it first thing in the morning. Now, you may say, I said that 40 years ago. Okay, and you sprung a bad leak. You need again. (laughs) You see, the Bible tells us to be ye being filled, literally. Now, I drive Southern California freeways a lot. And uh, that's why I don't put Christian bumper stickers on my car. (laughs) Because I don't want to embarrass God. But let me tell you, I get out sometimes and on those streets. I have to pray, Father, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you husbands and wives ever have <clears throat> discussions, let me tell you a way to make it profitable. Before you begin your discussion, pause and hold each other's hands and pray, Father, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Changes everything. Wow, this is too good, isn't it? And I think as I see this, he's trying to let me know this is a foregone conclusion, which means you're weakening. I was speaking on a similar subject in Florida once, and uh, I, had, I had three guys come up to me after service. I'll never forget this. The first one said, hey, preacher, I appreciate what you had to say, but I don't think you know who I am. He says, I've been a bad boy. God doesn't listen to my kind. I said to him, you know, that's a wall you built, not one that God built. Another guy came up and said, hey, preacher, I only come to church twice a year, Christmas and Easter. And the only reason I came today was because somebody said that we had a speaker who was on a three-day pass from some institution. (laughs) And he said, I think it's true. (laughs) And he said, God doesn't listen to my kind. And I said the same thing to him. That is a wall you built, not one that God built. A third guy came up to me and he said, you know, I walked in, I looked around, I realized I'm not one of these people. I need to go out and take about six months to try to get my act together. Then maybe God will listen to me. And I said to him, that is a wall you built, not one that God built. Well, how do we get over this? 
How do we get over the walls? It's so easy. Ask. Don't I have to tear them down? Don't I have to, you know, with a mighty leap? No. He loves you so much. He wants to be so available to you. All he wants is for you to want him and to ask. Isn't that good? That is too good. But this is a good clue to what our God is like. And when we honor him for his nature, it just follows all the way through. And he's trying to let us know. If you want to be in touch with me, and you ask, it is a foregone conclusion, which means... Now, if you happen not to be a follower of Jesus, we want you to know that you're just so welcome here. We can't even tell you how welcome you are. But we also need to tell you we're after you. What are we after? We're just after the opportunity to share the one who is the author of life with you. But you have to want him. He will not violate you, and we won't violate you either. But if you ask him, if you say, Oh, Lord, I am so sorry for my sin, and I'm sorry that I am a sinner, Please forgive me. I believe in you now, and I want you to come into my life and cleanse me and help me to just live entirely different and live for you. He does. Oh, uh, isn't there something you may put me through? Do you do something to me? No. I could hit you with a guitar, maybe. <laughs> but we don't do things like that. And you know why? Because this relationship with God is so incredible and so real. And at the same time, so personal that we don't want to get between you and God. We want you to have access to Him because it is so available, so available. And all you have to do is ask. Well, are we ready to pray? Let's do that. Oh, Father, you just overwhelm us with your goodness. That's all there is to it. And we're, we're so thankful that you've made it so easy to come to you, but we have to want you, and you won't violate us, nor will you refuse us if we come to you. And so here we are, Lord. We're asking, we're seeking, we're knocking. We're letting you know that we are inadequate and we need you. And we ask you to forgive us for who we are and for what we've done and take over our lives, God. And we know you never lie to us, which means that it's true when you say whoever comes to you, you won't refuse or cast them out. And so here we are, Lord, and now all we have left to do is say thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Gail Irwin. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Gail's teaching ministry by visiting servant.org.